Welcome to another episode of A Pint with Shoney B. I'm in Singapore in the boardroom of an agency I used to work for that's about to be demolished in six weeks, which is very depressing. And I'm here with the guy who's now in my job that, used to, that I used to have. We've worked together in a couple of agencies around the world over the years. We're quite similar. We have a nice cynical streak to us. This guy has been at the top of strategy planning in many agencies. We're going to hear his story. We're not going to talk too much about advertising because Steve Walls has a lot of wisdom, I think, he can share with us about how he's lived his life and some of the big adventures he's got up to. So welcome to A Pint with Shawnee B. Steve Walls. Thank you very much. I'm sorry we don't have a pint in the agency. Well, we're drinking we coffee. <coughs> we're drinking coffee. And well, you were never really a big drinker. No, I don't trust myself on, on booze. <laughs> it's one of those where it's like... I have very little self-control anyway. This is a running theme. I have, I have about 15% of my episodes <laughs> feature people who've either given up the booze because they can't. I'm kind of borderline. So yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, there is that kind of impulse control thing going on that I'm just like, yeah, I'm okay for the first one, but the second one is like, okay, maybe if I'm at home, maybe if I'm around people, but yeah, never in public. So we're here. In, we're actually in the Saatchi and Saatchi boardroom. I worked here from 2003 to 2007, and then I went over to JWT New York, where I met you for yeah. the first time. You were sort of living in Canada. I was living in Canada and bouncing backwards and forwards. I got a contract for a hundred days a year with JWT. That was good. I remember there was some shenanigans going on with that. That you they owed you money or something. You no. negotiated a good. I'd been living in Detroit. And I went in one morning to, to give a presentation, and there was nothing left on my desk. And I was like, oh, what's this? And that like, stylish way they that's, do it. That stylish way they went, yeah. oh, yeah, you're kind of you're kinda gone. And I was like, what do you mean kind of? like, wait for the HR woman, you're too early. So I spent like 20 minutes There's waiting. a picture of your family. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I was like, there you go. And I was like, it was one of those really weird, like, all I could think of was like, I got to do something this afternoon. Yeah, it's yeah. like the stuff on my calendar, and we're like, not so much. They're we're awful, aren't they? But yeah, it's like we're cutting costs to your cost. Yeah, and it's like, oh, all right then. So yeah, it was one of those moments where we're like, we quite like to work with you though, even though you don't have a work permit anymore and you've got to get the fuck out of the country. <laughs> um, so it's like, yeah, I don't think you can do that. And I was quite like, the guys in New York were really good. So Ty and Rosemary were still there. Yeah, they were great. And they were like, we'd like to work with you, but you don't have a work permit. I'm intrigued. How did you get around that? This is more for How me. did I get around yeah. that? Um, I didn't really. I moved to Canada and I started a company. And did they give you work permits easily up there? Um, yeah, that wasn't so bad because I kind of arrived and it's like, look, here it is. Here's some money. I'll buy a house. And then Tony Piggott, who's a very nice man at yeah. JWT Toronto. He will be on this podcast in he August. We'll be interviewing him. Tony's great. He's, he, he, he's one of those guys as well who, for people like you and I... He, he gravitates towards us and he's very trustable I mean he's yeah. just a guy who he's like he, he, I could go to Tony for advice and he talks you off the ledge yeah. and sometimes we need to get talked off the ledge and he's yeah. very good at that he's one of the good guys so yeah I ended up I ended up in Canada with a company doing lots of stuff and Tony said I'll take you for 100 days a year at which point Ty and Rose came back and said we'll buy a chunk of you as well which kind of a Appeal to my messiah complex. <laughs> it was like, it was like, yes. Well, what do you need that needs saving? But it's a weird thing to do. Yeah. I the firing piece as well is again. I've, I've talked about it a bit on the podcast with people that I remember. I remember after you left, and I think I'd left. 
there, there was a massive cull of like 20% of the New York staff and they set up separation stations all around the three or four floors they were on like with a big smile like it was like that movie Up in the Air or yeah. with George Clooney and so it, and people if they weren't at their desk were paged and said you know Sean Boyle to the separation station and you'd go there and get fired yeah. and then some big fucking oaf would walk to your desk and you'd pack up and you'd be out on Lexington Avenue with a brown cardboard box and a couple of pictures of your family mm-hmm. looking up at the skyscraper and weeping yeah Lovely. It's very it's yeah. preposterous. No, it is weird. As though, as though there's no phone call afterwards as well. No, it's... It is one of those things that shakes you more than anything, though, I yeah. think. Even though you kind of looked at it and went, 25 really good people left at the same time. In fact, everyone I liked kind of all disappeared yeah, at exactly yeah. the same time. And you look at it and you go, okay, I see it for what it is, but... It kind of came at a time when all my kind of pillars of certainty were being ripped away. It's good, though, for you, right, in hindsight. Yeah, in hindsight, just at the time, you kind of go... Fire me, Henry Sellers. No, but I was, I was like, I thought I was, I thought I was all right at that. I yeah. thought that was going well. Yeah. Yeah. And then you realise it doesn't matter because yeah, it's an Excel spreadsheet somewhere where they go, this amount of savings, yeah. you know, oh... That salary multiplied by that many people. Then and no matter go. what they do, when they look at you, there'll, there'll be some guy going, what about this guy? He's quite expensive. And there'll be somebody able to go, yeah, he's a pain in the hole. Yeah, we get rid of it. You know, there, there's yeah. somebody who'll be able to run you down about something. Oh, yeah. And that you're never, oh, no, he's indispensable. Yeah. yeah who? What? There's yeah. no such thing. Where did you grow up? I grew up in the northeast of England. We bounced around a bit when I was a kid. So my dad's a crazy person. My How dad crazy? Been, well, my dad had been a soccer player. So my dad... Really? Yeah. My for dad, who? My dad played for Leicester, of all people. Uh, we're just at the cusp of Leicester winning the uh, Premier League One title. win away. One win away. One win Does he support away. them still? No. No, because um, he was a goalkeeper and he was an apprentice with Peter Shilton. Oh. Uh, Peter Shilton, who he still is like, wouldn't pay him with the holes from washers. Like, he could do nothing wrong. No. Nothing right, rather. So, um... England had won the World Cup in 66 and Germany in 70. So he moved my mom to Germany so that I'd be able to choose which of the world's superpowers I'd get to play for. He was very disappointed. He moved to Germany to play football? He moved to Germany just so I could be born there and and then qualify to play for Germany when I grew up. Um, Is he part German? Nope. So why did he go to Germany? The English hate the Germans. The English hate the Germans, but the Germans had won the World Cup the year before. Ah, So he was like, yep. Day one, be good, you've got your choice now, see what I did for you. So had he great aspirations for you being a footballer? Yeah. And no. And just not. <laughs> just just a small camp child going, please don't throw the ball at me, I'll throw the ball. <laughs> I like, I'll throw you a pretty Those ball. Those of you can't see Steve, but he's not something, you wouldn't go, oh, there's a soccer player build if ever I saw <laughs> No, so it was one of those, he was very well, good. a winger, a little nippy winger. He hid his disappointment very well. So he must have been a big lad than if he was a goalkeeper, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, my dad was big. He'd been like a discus thrower and a javelin. He'd okay. always been like field. Um, and, and was then, he real working class north of England? Or? Yeah, so everybody was there. So they, um, what did he do? He was in the army and then he was in the fire brigade. Okay. And then he left. He was a security man. And right. I, my mom had been a research chemist. Right. I kind of gave it up. Claim to fame was ICI, which was like the big chemical plant yeah. at the time. It used to run like 25 miles. She managed to set fire to every drain for 25 miles with a chemical cocktail. <laughs> it's like a Gary Larson come up, it. It's like, <laughs> up it goes. So she gave it all up when she had kids and ended up kind of 
she filled shelves in supermarkets and okay, just to get school to dinner lady and right. all of that stuff. So, how many siblings have you got? My brother's ten years younger than me. Okay, so huge gap between us. He was much sportier. Yeah, his name's Wayne Rooney. He <laughs> <laughs> yeah. was much sportier than I was, and then kind of he's very hardcore on his soccer still. Only wears Paul and Shark, and he's he's never missed a home game and. Yeah, for Leicester. Ah, uh, no, he's, uh, they live close to Middlesbrough now, so he's okay. always been a Middlesbrough fan. I remember even at the age of like three, I'd have been 13, 14, him saying to me like, "If you don't say Borough are the best side in the world, I'm going to throw myself down the stairs." Oh my god! And being the asshole I always was, I was like, "Well, empirically, they're obviously yes. not. It's like, they've never won anything." Already, And he did. He threw himself down the stairs oh. and said he made me do it. Oh and he still got that kind of fervour. Right. Um, You're very good at advertising. Yeah, I know. He's very... <laughs> buy this. Buy this or I die. So you had no interest in sport then, did you not? Not really. I like sport. Did you have to pretend then to be... Well, I was like... No, I was... I only realised later I was kind of massively anxious. I had my first panic attack when I was two. I got to the top of a slide and couldn't breathe. I remember feeling like I was choking on a cornflake. It's like, weird feeling. It's like, it's definitely a cornflake, and it's here, and I'm going to die. And turning blue, and then kind of rushing me off, and then afterwards, it's just a panic attack. Right. And I had them the whole time. So I love sports I could practice by myself before right. I had to go play them. Yeah. So I was a good snooker player. Yeah. I liked darts. Yeah. <laughs> I did darts. I'm like, anything you drink a beer while you were doing. Sports. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're, they're kind of as close as I got to sports. Yeah. But... And what were you like in school? Um, because we came, because we had fuck all. We lived in the Lakes Estate, and the Lakes Estate was classified once on TV as the worst housing estate in England, and had a picture of my house there. It's like it's literally it's like it's like three so it's doors, outside. just outside. So it's between Redcar and Middlesbrough. Right. Yeah, and the Lakes Estate, they were all closes. They were all what? They were all, uh, they, they called them closers. It was like a new, they decided this was like the big thing. So right. they build kind of terrace houses. Like Brookside with, close. Yeah, but with like concrete tunnels so that people could yeah, sniff yeah. glue and kill each other. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so was it like, quite violent? Oh yeah, it was really violent. It wasn't, it like wasn't a good place to live. Burnt out cars and all yeah. that. So Fuck. I went to a primary school, I was really good at math. And right. Apparently they tested me and they decided that based on the test, I didn't know at the time, I could go to the, the school the good school huh? on the other side of the race course the race red course, car splits, race red, course red car races yeah. splits it in half so I could go to the good school on the other side where the posh kids went provided I did well in every subject and apparently there was, you know, lots of questions brought up as to you know whether these rough kids could come across there was about five How of us that got to go well I was weird because we'd been we'd lived in the south of England for quite a long time when my dad was in the army so I arrived with a different accent and very soon people hit you a lot. <laughs> like, you're posh. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you're posh? Yeah. It's like, I'm not posh. I'm not. <laughs> and then, of course, you go across to the school on the place where people own their houses, and you have to go, no, I am posh. <laughs> I'm posh. So the parents really didn't like me being there. But well, you had to, it was the rule of the school year. I mean, you had to learn how to look after yourself. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it was just there, and my parents had kind of put me in martial arts and stuff. Right. Um, just to make sure that I didn't get killed. And you had uh, like a black belt or something? Yeah, I did Lao Gao Kung Fu for a long time. Oh, so yeah, yeah I, was quite, I was quite good at that. It was good. 
Mainly it was just being bendy though. <laughs> like yeah, no, I, I did like the worst kind. Of, I did one competition and we were in non-contact. Right. And I didn't realise the people we were up against were contact. And the first thing the guy did was punch me in the face. And I was like, that doesn't Boy. happen. <laughs> I was like, it's not cricket. So then it was. So then, so you, then you got to the posh school. And then I was at, I was at the, at the posher school in town. Basically, the pressure was on to be like at the top of most subjects, or you'd end up back at the rough school. So, so were your parents proud of you then? For, cause, cause it, that was just, been, it was weird. I mean, what, what you lose on the goalkeeping swings, you're gaining on the you academic. You gain on that. Of... That was kind of my mom said, but my mom had always done that from being like really small. Okay. What should we play? Schools. Yeah. Like, I, <laughs> let's play schools. Let's let's play reading hey, let's now. Learn geography. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> my only toy was a blackboard. Yeah. <laughs> but no, we'd done a lot. That's so I read really early, so that I could win book vouchers. They stuck me on the stage very very young as well. I used to have a terrible act at like I was two and a half doing Long Haired Lover from Liverpool by little Jimmy Osmond. Have you got any videos? Terrible. Of that? I've got it on tape, got audio of it. Brilliant. Me telling all the little jokes and rehearsing. I like being told by my mom. Like, yeah. That's not one of the jokes. You go. It's like, okay. Steve has a, a, a young. Ch- what age is your child? He's just turned five. Who I think is going to be famous. He looks like like no other child I've ever seen. He looks like manga crossed with. Hansel and Gretel or something. He's got, he's got big blue, you know, cartoon-like eyes, and I'm, I'm predicting he'll be a yeah. superstar. So. Well, that's the plan. That's why he's got a stupid name. <laughs> what so is his name? He's, he's called Tyke, but it's T-I-J-K-E. Okay, the Dutch. Yeah, your yeah. wife is Dutch, right? My wife is Dutch, so we spelt it the Dutch way to annoy everybody. Yeah. I have no interest in having children, but I did always say if I wanted, if I was going to have a kid, a boy or a girl, I would call it Tiger, just so I could go Easy Tiger. <laughs> I offered my brother money when he had a daughter to call her Sugar because I thought Sugar Walls was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> and he wasn't having it. No. I said, if you call her Sugar Walls, I'll buy her her first stripper tits. <laughs> and that was it. That was like, I'm not talking to you again. I'm not going anywhere. So, yeah, so that was... So then out of school to... Out of school, <laughs> in sixth form, everyone kind of went... Oxbridge, you must do the Oxbridge. So thing. you would have been a star pupil, right? Even amongst yeah. the posh kids, because yeah, they, they were only postured then the worst yeah, kids I, in the state. And I did really well, and then at about fifteen, got really lazy. Right. I suddenly realised that if I didn't do anything, you could still. Pass. I still passed. Okay. So they all kind of were very disappointed that you yeah. stopped trying. Taking the foot off the pedal. You took the foot off the pedal, but you know you can still do it with your A levels because you've got a very good sub story. Right. I think I reacted a little bit to being like the token, and you could be our poor person. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. if if you play your cards right, it just shows you the great British education exactly. system. Exactly, no child left behind. It's like I really don't. I just didn't want to be that. It mm. was like I I really don't want to be the kid that got the scholarship because he sounds yeah. wrong. The truth was at the time it was really too small a town. Yeah, um, it was one of those weird towns where everybody knew you. I remember going out and people would be like, oh, you're Cynthia's nephew. And he's yeah. like, oh, fuck, you can't go anywhere. Yeah. You can't do anything. So we were yearning somebody. to get away. Kind of. Yeah. It was that weird place where, because it's like built on steel. Mm. It's like literally, it's like the big steel mills which have gone now, they just closed down Teesside. It was kind of built on steel and football and working men's clubs. Yeah. And I still have a real thing for working men's clubs. Yeah, rugby like, league and yeah, it's kind of fancy. Absolutely, but I just love the people who kind of get up and battle against the fact that the bingo was next. Yeah, it was like that kind of real Les Dawson character yeah, that was yeah. like, 
been doing this for 40 years, yeah. son. My so, father's father, and my father's father's yeah. father's father. So, my father's father. <laughs> yeah, I've still got a thing for that, but you know, we didn't have a book in the house. Right. There still isn't a book in the house, I don't think. Right. And the only pens came from Ladbrokes. They were like li- those yeah, tiny little red pens yeah, with brilliant. the white top on yeah, them. Brilliant. So, like, I just, I love to write. All I ever wanted was a typewriter. Yeah. Just give me a typewriter. Never got a typewriter. I was like, I just. That, that's so all I all, wanted. We had it all inside you, reckon? Yeah, I just wanted to write. Mm. That's all I wanted to do was like, and I didn't really know what. Right. Um, but it was like, yeah, somehow, and that was seen as like deeply suspicious. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you indoors writing rather than yeah. outdoors yeah. throwing things yeah. or whatever? I think Building people, things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. People would have been happier at that. So they sent you off to college then? Went off to college. Um, I ended up, and it's, weird I don't know why I ended up at Stirling uh, okay. it was about as far away from Oxbridge as you could get I wanted to do film and they had the best film school right and I remember my doctor at the time going you have offers from all of these places don't fucking go there and he's yeah. like go to Glasgow it was a good university it was a good university <laughs> and it was like a straight A's course to do the film thing so yeah. that was like my justification to people yeah. so what was what was that like you were learning film, learning film film in Scottish Learning film has got... It was good. Again, it was another small town, so everything happened on campus. So I got to try things. I got to kind of try and fail at stand-up, which I loved. Yeah, loved doing stand-up. I did that some was fantastic. Well. And I got to realise I couldn't act. Right. But they let me try. And it felt like a great place to be able to fail. Yeah. Um, which is good. Yeah. And I, I just threw myself into lots of things. And I think pre-internet, it's really difficult to be weird now. Because yeah. you can find like five. People don't care if you're weird now. Exactly, but you can find five other people that want to cut Weirder. heads off a swan and fuck them. And it's yeah, like, oh, we're yeah. a group! And then eat them. <laughs> Whereas when you're the only person in town, yeah. it's like, oh shit. And it was the first place I went to where there were other people that kind of went, yeah, we could do that. Yeah, cool. And I go, like, I've written this thing. Yeah. You know, I wrote my first little kind of one act play. And someone went, yeah, we'll put that on. Yeah. Do you want right. to direct it? I was like, not really. And handed over, and then I kind of went and watched it, and I was like, Did they do a good oh, job? Yeah, it was good. It was good. It's better than my. How thought. many plays are you in? Three or four. None of them great. Um, it's hard. I just finished one. Yeah, it's yeah. very hard. There was a couple of people there, and I just have a terrible job of finishing. I've got the start of lots of things, yeah. and, like, and in my head, I once I know where it's going, I lose interest and interest. Right, right. I gotta, I gotta fix that. Well, there will be time to do that. Yeah. You know? But life is, life is one of those things where I go, yeah, maybe if I finished more stuff. Start right. less, I finish more. So what happened then after you finished film school? Finished film school and then realised I'd gone to film school. Everybody else went off and did something. I kind of hung around for a while in Scotland and then I realised there are a lot of people hanging around. There's a bunch of guys I didn't want to turn into. Did you get a good graduation? Like, were you... Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, did, I, I got really lucky. Like, our final thing was... a. Um, like make three documentaries right. and somehow I ended up with the most talented people right. who didn't mind I think they carried me over the line <laughs> they were like don't worry they're like you make introductions I remember doing a husband and, husband and wife it was interesting they got divorced while she was pregnant which was weird mm. he went to see the baby and said you know you're, you've lost your body now so she got back into shape and became a stripper to prove him wrong um, and then got him into stripping. Um, and now they do a double act and they're back together. And it was this kind of great kind of love story thing. Fiction, man. It's, no, it's true. That's really? what they did, yeah. Ian and Sandra. 
they were called. Where are they so now? Crap on that. I'd love to go back and follow them. <laughs> but we, we went and just made like a 20-minute documentary about them. My only job was finding them. So I, I worked in Pizza Hut. Um, Still in Scotland? No, I went back home. Right. I went home. Oh, God, that so was a disaster. That was disastrous. Did they all think it failed? Yeah, miserably. So I did like a post round in the morning. So what's your Sunday? You walk in pizza. I told them not to fucking do that. Everybody in film school up in Scotland. Well, at least he's working. <laughs> um, no, I like, don't call that working. Friends' parents <laughs> used to come in and go, "Oh, are you? Are you? Are you doing a fourth year or whatever?" They all thought it was like some holiday job. Yeah. And then they tell me how well their kids were doing. Yeah. And I was like, Timothy's a pharmacist. Yeah. Like, oh fuck. Okay. So I did that, and then my dad got me a job cleaning out the inside of oil pipes. It paid probably as much as I've ever been paid. Um, <laughs> huge industrial pipes, you get inside and you start to brush. Someone just put his hand on my shoulder and goes, job only lasts as long as it takes, son. It's like, slow down, you'll get yeah, the summer yeah, yeah. out of it. God. So you do that, and then occasionally someone would lift the goggles and you'd sweep oil dust into his face, and then they'd have to close it down for a safety incident, and we'd all go to the cinema. <laughs> um, and that was it. It was like you dread the day, it was your turn but to take a face full of oil. Like, were you feeling like, were you feeling a bit lost then? Like, what well, the at that point, I was just like, I didn't see any way out of that. Yeah. And you start to look and go, well, maybe I'd be a pizza manager. Or yeah. maybe I could do a chunk of keys. Yeah, yeah. maybe I could do it. You, you just started to look and went, I'm probably going to have to make the best of this because I don't know my way into film. Yeah. It just all feels a bit grim. And then my girlfriend is my wife at the time. No, my wife now, my girlfriend then. She's How did you meet her? She's Dutch. Met her um, in a play. I had a friend that got an inheritance and he put all of his money into a giant venue in Edinburgh. Like, all of the inheritance oh, cool. money. He's like, this is what we're doing. And didn't realise that like the average audience is nine. Yeah. And he was just hemorrhaging cash. Because right. he had, like, the play... Whose play was it? It's it his play. play right. He wrote the play. And then he put it on oh, in at this big venue, and, and there was nobody to broadcast. Yeah. It, so it was literally like, right, I need to fill this up 24 hours a, a day. Was it good or was it? It was all right. Yeah. It was quite funny, but it was like, you know, a no name play with no names in it. And what were you doing? Support? I had some tiny part in the play. Um, and the guy that played the lead in it dropped out. I don't know why. He's just like, fuck this, I'm not doing it. And I'm really quick at learning lines. So I learned the lines and went on, and most of my scenes were with her. Okay. And I just had to say, like, what are we doing? Is there a future for this month? Well, at least until the play's over. <laughs> exactly. She'd be like, go over there and get burnt. It's like, okay, Rah, I'm being burnt. And I come up and go, now what? She goes, oh, you're in hospital. It's like, oh. Yeah, that happened. And she basically said, she said, look, just, um, my parents are in South Korea. You can make some actual money. Go and teach some English. She was everything I was, and she was like CEO's daughter. Didn't really think about money because yeah. like, it was just kind of there. Not yeah. in massive amounts, but it was just yeah. there. Didn't have that kind of claustrophobia of being from a really small place. They yeah. travelled all the time. She'd lived in, she was Dutch, but they went to school in Switzerland and they lived in South Korea yeah. and the driver picked you up when you got there. And okay. It was all quite nice. And she was just like, well, yeah, but you can do anything. I was like, no, I'm here. This is it. Like, I'm stuck here now yeah. forever. Um, but she was a catalyst to getting you out. Yeah, she yeah. was. And I was like, you must go and mix with your own kind. <laughs> I had lots of that. I was like, there will be I'm not worthy of There are CEO yeah. sons over there. It was Romeo right and Juliet, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so I did that. But while I was doing it, um, 
I um, did that being go to Korea. Went to Korea. Um, but that was an adventure. That was an adventure. Yeah. We were there. What age were you at that stage? Twenty two. Was twenty one, twenty two. Yeah. So had lots of businessmen who liked the fact that I was English, English, and they'd show that off. Right. So that was just like that was a year of being drunk. Yeah. Because they basically come and say, "Teach me some English," and you tell them like four words, and then they go, "Now come drink with me yeah. with my colleagues." Yeah, yeah. And their colleagues would have their entourage yeah. and they go where's your English teacher from Poland my so it was English like a teacher status yeah my English teacher is English oh. from England it's like one step above yeah. the American little so, did they know little did they know <laughs> <laughs> you have no idea what I'm talking about um, so a place called Red Cars like, yeah, it's, it's marvellous <laughs> you should come this racetrack Princess Anne won her only race there <laughs> yeah. So I start, while I was there, I was just like, you know what? I'd had an English teacher when I was a kid, Mr. Kirby, who'd gone, you should do advertising. And for some reason, that stuck in my head. So I just started to write to people. And I finally got um, an interview with BMP. And I got so there. So you're writing people in London? Write to people in London, right. just going, hey, look, this yeah. is my life. Very soon I'm coming back to Pizza Hut. I can only stay here for this long. And I went down to see them. They said yes, and I flew back, stayed with my parents for a while, went down there, and they were like, it was the best graduate recruitment thing we've seen forever. This, I'm a terribly depressed person who fled an oil pipe to live in South Korea. Yeah. I was like, it's actually my life. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's, they thought it was bullshit. They thought it was bullshit. They thought Very I'd made funny. this thing up, and they thought it was great. And they did a really cruel thing. They started to cut people during the day. So they'd come in at lunchtime and go, you guys are so far behind. Go home. Don't it was like a time. reality TV yeah. show. Yeah. Cut down to the last two and they gave it to the other guy. And then said to me, we're very sure with your novel approach that you know, you'll do very well. I was like, it's not a fucking approach. That's Woody Allen style. I wrote it. And they were really good. They phoned everybody else. But that wouldn't happen today. Yeah, and we've got you interviews. They even paid for me to stay an extra night so I could oh, interview at Grey. Um, and Hello, I went, times have changed. Yeah, I went to Grey and blew it completely. Yeah, they showed, they showed me to be a toothpaste ad. <laughs> it's a toothpaste ad. It's yeah. like anything. It's I was shit. like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, shit. <laughs> yeah. Any, you got anything else? And it was just one of those. And then I went to publicist and everybody was double barreled. I remember, yeah. like, everybody I spoke to was had JWT. Some, was yeah. yeah. And I was like, yeah, Timothy Shotgun. Yeah, yeah. And then it was like, yeah, here we go. <laughs> I remember Douglas Thursby Pelham. Who looked very kind of Terry Thomas. Yeah. Saying to me at the end, you were terribly amusing. Oh, he, he's like, you're terribly amusing and probably very well qualified. But we'd never employ someone like you. Yeah. And like the jobs went to the two Rorys who both played rugby with the chairman's son. Right. And I said, we'll put you on the NABs list of terribly interesting people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you're a bit common. So I went back to South Korea and I wrote to them every day for a year telling them why they were wrong about everything because it really pissed me off they basically said you're too common to work here and I wrote and Dan O'Donoghue you wrote nice notes some were nice some weren't some were like I've just seen this ad that you put out there for fuck's sake what are you doing right some were just desperate why 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 would you have bothered your whole with publicists and not say push the PMP button who were nicer to you at least rejection absolutely I just refused to accept I think it's the last piece of my parents going, Oxbridge would have been better. That opens doors. Yeah. And it was like, I got there and got told, kind of, Oxbridge would have opened some doors. And I was like, no, fuck you. Yeah. And it it became kind of, I can turn it. It's kind of obsessive. Yeah, I can turn anything into an addiction. You still have some? They were actual letters you probably sent off. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Apparently, Dan always says they, they passed them all on to planning. 
and went, this guy's too creative for account management. Yeah. Creative don't want to touch him. Maybe he's a planner. Yeah. And Dan gave me a job in his um, um, information department. I was like the first man. He's right. like, now it's a women-only job, but if you want to do it. So I came back from career. Well, there's a lesson there. No, never say die something. You know, something yeah. like... It, it, there's a borderline between being a stalker yeah. and being very serious about changing people's opinion about you, which yeah. is probably the line you walked and succeeded. Yeah, it needed to be, so, yeah. yeah. And I got really lucky at publicists. Things went my way. Yeah. Like, they were doing a big thing, trying to predict the trends of the future, and the woman that was doing it quit, and the woman that was going to replace her got glandular fever. So right. they said to me, can you just go to Paris Brilliant. and um, figure out the notes, and we'll decide who does it when you get back. But I got back really early and I wrote up the notes and I'm like, oh, you seem organised. Do you want to get a year's worth of media? And one day they came in and said, can you just do a luxury thing? Or it was, what was it for? It was for food. It was like luxury food. Yeah. I pulled together this thing just based on soap operas going, you know, it's changed. So, you know, dinner's become supper. That's much more informal. This is what happens. Here's Raquel mm. from Coronation Street talking to Curly about it. Here's what it mm. And all we did is we flashed it on the screen as we talked. And at some point, a client will have read one of the articles or seen one of the clips, and they go, oh, I've seen that, therefore it's true. <laughs> um, and it was a brilliant pitch strategy. Yes, it was yes. really, really good to go, here are the four big things that will matter. You've probably seen some of this stuff. Yeah. Got you. There you go. Sixth floor. <laughs> we'll talk about that article and how it's indicative. Um, and it became the International Institute of Context Analysis, because they were French. Um, and I got to kind of head that up. And they were really supportive and nice, and they thought the department was dysfunctional, so we had a therapist. Holy um, So she would come in and give us all therapy. and Just the planning department? Just the planning department. Who so, thought that? I don't know. It came in from above. Was it anger management issues? It, was, it completely united us all in our hatred of her. Yeah. We became like the tightest department, because we'd have to go in and talk about yeah, resentment and Gee. anger and why we couldn't let things go, blah, 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 group dynamics. And we just all got the pub out. So that was some benevolent CEO who came up with this idea. This idea of like, let's get therapy for the planners. Holy crap. They gave me elocution lessons. Okay. Didn't work. No. I'm glad um, you still have a bit of an accent. Yeah, no, that's still there. So yeah, that was, um, it was kind of a, a strange and strange and strange and weird time. And then what? Then BBH. They were really good at the time. They're the best agency in the world. Though. Yeah. And full of amazing people. Mm. Um, and they thought I was a clown. Yeah. They couldn't decide whether I was a planner or a clown. Yeah. They were one of those agencies that would want a couple of clowns. Yeah. So it was like, simple. we're not sure. And I remember like... Um, in this so BBH, just for those listening from uh, BBH's Bartle, Bogle, Hegarty, they were probably the agency of the uh, late 80s, early 90s. And their famous campaigns were for Audi. They came up with Vorsprung, Dirk Technik. They did Levi's 501's campaign, which ran for 10 years, yeah. which is probably my favourite campaign of all time. Phileas Fogg, Hagen Dass, they had a whole yeah. range, of just, yeah. a range of great work. You know, they're still going, but you know, they're not making the same caliber of work anymore. And then, did they move you out? They moved me to Singapore. So they're like, we've opened the Singapore thing. Yeah, they moved me out, and they basically said, look, London's got this huge talent pool, but it's very deep, and no one's going anywhere. Mm. So if you want any responsibility on anything, Singapore's kind of the only place. And when I arrived, we had a women's walkathon. The um, local Irish pub and a furniture store that was closing down. Brilliant. And that was it. Just lots of good people that kind of slowly built it. I did a couple of years and I went, right, your time's up, come back to the mothership. And I just 
couldn't imagine London. So I'd been working with a little company called the One Centre. And I told them they wanted me to go back to London and they got me exactly, they appealed to my vanity. They made a video. They went, this is where you're gonna live, we got your house. Uh, this is the boat you'll take from Manly into the office. Okay, we know um, where he's heading. Exactly, you know, this, <laughs> this is the office, this is whatever, this is your chair, this is your computer. And then they wrote, we really want you, Steve, on a board. Right. And I went based on that. Never been to Australia in my life, I just went based on the... I went similarly and I loved Australia when yeah. I got there because it was just this, this was the aspect of the place I really was, had been looking for. It was yeah. gorgeous. Yeah. I had my Sally Field moments at that point. It's the same <laughs> thing like when Headhunters call, I, I still see it as validation as opposed to <laughs> just them going alphabetically yeah, through a bunch of people. Barrel, like, well, yeah. we haven't tried Steve or Sean Boyle yet. Uh, but, yeah. you, you get that thing where they go, we've got this thing for you, it's yeah. direct it's mail. Perfect for you. It's direct mail in Atlanta. Yeah. And yeah. I, my heart still skips a beat a bit. I'm like, yes! And they thought of me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I went down there and we started to build that and that was great. We did everything but advertising. Yeah. It was kind of way ahead of its time, actually. It was like, everything's an experience. We'll design yeah. the bags, we'll do the architecture, we'll okay. design your hold music. And then my wife came home. She'd been working in finance and making bonuses bigger than my salary. Mm. She went, I hate what I do. So like, yeah, everyone hates what you do. Yeah. She's like, I've seen this cheetah sanctuary in Africa I'm going to go mm. and six weeks later she was there and she came back and went yeah I'm going again and then she came back and said yeah I'm going again and I was like okay this is like nine months now this year that you've been there so sold up shop got rid of my part of the business moved to Africa um, into Namibia with, with her and we, we just tried to make a business of stuff so mm. it was like how do we make it profitable for farmers not to shoot cheetahs? What do we do with brush land that means that people will clear it because there's a profit to be made from the bricks? So I looked a lot at how do you make it profitable? Um, and then again, theme comes through here. My wife said, you know what, the best way for me to help is to actually get giant corporations involved in this kind of thing. And I need a PhD for that. And I've been offered one in the States. Because you had, oh, for fuck's sake, make your mind up. It's like, okay then. <laughs> We'd spent all the money, so we got to the States. But you did set up a sanctuary. Yep, it's there. Um, it was set up by a woman called Laurie Marker. Right. Um, my wife handled all the volunteer stuff. Yeah. I did some of the business stuff. They're still going. We've still got an investment in there. We still go back. That's 50,000 acres now. Um, oh, that's big. It's big. Um, How many cheetahs are in there? Uh, well, they, they free as many as they can. So the views you got between about 15 and 20. Um, are cheetahs still in danger? Yeah. I mean, they got, they got so low that they're, they're actually slightly shit animals now because they had to inbreed them to keep them going. Oh, right. So they've got, like, really low immunity. and they're, Why cheetahs and not leopards? And um, they're an indicator species. There's certain animals... What does that, that mean? Uh, there's certain animals that act as pandas are in there too they're, they're animals that people kind of go because it's the fastest people associate it with we can't lose the world's fastest animal I see okay elephants blue whale yeah, all that stuff yeah we like can't that. lose the world's biggest animal yeah. we can't lose the world's yeah. so you get to that bit where you go there's just certain things because Africans who were next door did all kinds of cats yeah they just didn't get the same kind of attention it's much easier to go to Porsche yeah I remember seeing some of your videos though they yeah. fucking move don't they they do move right what are they 70 miles an hour 70 miles an hour yeah, yeah. To run them around giant. Yeah, I remember the, the video. Yeah, the giant little, stuff. Yeah. yeah, 
but you know, you go to Porsche and you go, when you're chasing the world's fastest animal, you need the world's fastest off-roader, can we have a Cayenne? And it's, it's a much better pitch yeah. than, we've got these Jaguars. Your cold Jaguar. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. It just doesn't work quite the same way. So did that, went to the States, interviewed everywhere, and um, ended up at JWT. Started to get involved in lots of burlesque stuff, which I loved. Started to do photography again, which I hadn't done for a long time. Started to get access like backstage, which is what I really wanted. So was kind of on the fringes of a scene Mm. in New York. As the scene was growing, Mm. kind of that fringe moved further out. So I felt like I was part of something. And then she finished and said, oh, University of Michigan, Um, postdoc. So, so she's very bright, right? She's just yeah. No, she is like now, the, one of the reasons you're here in Singapore. She's been tenured, right? She's um, yeah, she's a tenure track at um, one of the universities here, doing business and sustainability. But right. she's she's really interested in bringing the two together. It's yeah. like just you have to make money in it to do it. She did a great thing during one of the elections, which was like, if you want environmental change, should you have Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, or John McCain? And all of the evidence shows that it's elderly white Republican men trying to make a legacy before they die and make up for everything else. Who are the people at the most progressive environmentally? With the exception of probably Donald Trump. With the exception of Donald Trump. (laughs) At some point, he's just not old enough. Because if if you think you're in the kind of, yeah. You'll just build a new planet, fuck it. Exactly. He's like, I've got to live forever. I don't don't need a legacy. I'm not going to die. I've got my buildings. So yeah, we went down to Michigan. I worked with... Forward until they fired me. Now we're back to the start of the podcast. Back to the start of the podcast. Got fired there. It's been a good ride. It's been a good ride. And again, you know, I picked up the camera stuff, got to Montreal, and found out that Montreal was a city of artists. It is. It's great. Um, That's one of my favorite cities, actually. It's one of my favorite cities. I mean, in the summer. I, I, I quite like the spikiness of the French speaking Canadians. Like, I quite like that. I like that. There. I loved the fact that it was a tourist place that didn't really have any tourist attractions. Yeah. So they became really possessive about neighbourhoods and the way they felt. <laughs> it was like, yeah, exactly, but you try and, like, people try and open a coffee shop somewhere and it, like, the council would get involved and go, yeah. ah, this is not a coffee shop neighbourhood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the nice thing there was I met, a, I met a bunch of people called Glam Gam who did this kind of body positive burlesque. Right. They took the list and they added John Walters to it. John Walters to it. I said Walters. Yeah. I'm going to have to shoot myself later. Stoke City football player. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> now, yeah, added added some John Walters to it and a bit, of, and, and it became kind of really on the edge of like, yeah. how far can you push taste? Was it scatological? It was very. Lots of it was scatological. Was it was one, of, one of my favorite scenes that they ever did was um, Santa Claus coming in, just literally covered in shit, head to toe. Lovely. He just he walks in, he goes. Oh, shit storm out there <laughs> is all he said and I was like you know what for one gag right. that's a whole bunch yeah. of stuff and that then was, how realistic was like, it was pretty realistic they yeah. um, I mean I just say he wasn't taking it to the Daniel Day-Lewis level actually having to say no if I'm no. going to do this I'm going to convince I think, I think if they chocolate. would if they could have done they would but I loved that there was like nudity licenses everywhere so right. there was like strip karaoke but and, this was art yeah and strip spelling bee which I loved oh my god because well, you, spelling, you, spe- you, you spell a word wrong, you take some clothes off. You have to take some clothes off. And That's there'd be great. a big red spotlight on you, you spell it wrong. And if you got it right, they gave you a couple of shots. Okay. So as people got drunker... That's very clever. You are very passionate about photography and your, 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 your photograph. I mean, I only just keep in touch on Facebook, but yeah. you do. You, you, you post a lot of really interesting... 
stuff there. Do you, I mean, that's another area probably for a third act, right? Yeah, I mean, it's died since I came here. So Why? I think it died because there was a piece in Montreal where people were just willing to make stuff. Yeah. And lots of people define themselves as artists and they just wanted to make art. Yeah. So you could put a call out that just went, look, I've got this idea, you know, and it's around body fascism and this is what I want to do. And a bunch of people turn up with, with builds on that idea. Yeah. Oh, I'll tell you what I do with it. Yeah. I can take it to there or whatever. I've tried the same thing here. And you get lots of replies going, I've got a yellow bikini. Would you mind taking pictures of me on the beach? Yeah. And I went I, to a show in Toronto that was similar to this burlesque. Yeah. But the, the, the idea was we're, we're going to meet on Friday and we're going to put the show on on Saturday. And yeah. it was shit. Yeah, well, you know, it was like they all thought it was very arty, and like a guy arrives dressed in drag and takes uh, off his clothes and oh, hooray! And uh, you know, I get called off on stage because I'm Irish or something, and they improv with me, and I'm like doing Irish dancing, and everyone's laughing, and uh, you know, it's it's hipstersville, and everyone's like going, "This is real art." This is, uh, you know, and I'm like, well, "Did you just all make this up yesterday?" Uh, anyway, I said, "It looks like that." Yeah, <laughs> but, but there's an energy to it. There is, there is, there and is. that's that's what I love. I like the idea that it'll never. Be done again, yeah, because they actually give that script. You know, <laughs> it shouldn't be. <laughs> the best thing about this show is no one will ever see it again. There was a guy, I think it was around Easter, there was a guy who came out dressed as a really evil Easter bunny and just started mm-hmm. handing out weird eggs to people, and then he went off stage. That was all he did. <laughs> I love that stuff. <laughs> what, uh, three, what, so coming to the end, what, what, what have you learned? What would you pass on to the, the failed goalkeeping? <laughs> Pizza Hut delivery boy back in the day in red car. I mean, one of the things I like most about what you talked about was just if you if you came to a moment or a point, I would probably say it was your determination with publicists that time yeah. to write all those notes to them because that's yeah. probably what got you into the into the business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think not caring. It's actually not not caring, but that whole idea that you know what something will show up yeah. is the big one, and it's, the biggest fear is that I've lost that at the moment. Like, I've been very quick to kind of go, this is wrong, fuck it, I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah. And just going, well, something will happen. Yeah. You know, if I end up working in Starbucks for six months, which I did at one point, it's like, yeah. you know what, it's a chance to learn French. Yeah. A little bit of fearlessness goes a long way. Yeah. Um, and something will happen. I think that's one, one thing that I needed to, to get to. I wish I'd known that the industry was going to die. <laughs> that would have been good. Well, I got in. We could have shortened it. I could have done it. Me, I did it all. No, but you know, it was the closest thing I could get to making films. It was yeah. like, okay, here's thirty seconds of something that when I started, people cared about. People saw them and they talked about them. And this is Steve Wozniak. Yeah, and it was. It'd be great to just kind of go, you know, and how much of it you did didn't matter. It's like. That's one of mine. Yeah. And I used to love stuff That's showing up. That's why I the business. So I could, tell, I could make better shit than was on and tell my friends I made better shit. And they go, well done. Thank yeah. You. Thank, you for, thank you for saving our brains and our sanity. Yeah, that was, that was my thing. Never it's like, happens. okay, no one's going to pay me to make a documentary. No one's going to make my movie script. But you know what? I can, you know, I make five or six things each year that are on TV. Yeah. And... The, the fact that that kind of died now no one gives a shit I mean I've got every ad locker in the world yeah. and everything I think that's one I, of those I, things. I stopped I haven't had a television in 10 years yeah. maybe more Yeah. I just couldn't be arsed I won't live anywhere that doesn't show Survivor it's, it's a genuine criteria but right. before we go I'm like okay which network is Survivor on it's like, oh, how do you think you perform on Survivor 
I tell myself I do really well Everybody. and then I go under the radar and then be killer in challenges I'd either get completely paranoid I'd be that guy it's like they're all out to get us and they go we have to cut him he's paranoid (laughs) (laughs) so yeah I'd either go kind of completely paranoid conspiracy theory on it or I'd just get really fucking irritating I think there's too many silences on Survivor that you don't see and I'd be the one that felt that you had to fill them in for sure Great talking to uh, advertising and uh, life survivor Steve Walls. Uh, great ride there, that conversation. Thanks for sharing your life journey with us and all the little bits of wisdom you had. And you. Uh, let's see what the third act brings, man. Yeah, and, uh, something different. Something. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you.